You're locked on to Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports radio morning show for over a decade. This is DJ and PK on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. What is wrong with the Jazz? Got about 1,200 votes on the uh, poll question. I think a lot of Jazz fans watched those two losses in New York. Thought, what just happened there? They expected 4-2 and two to be 6-2. and two. Instead, they're 4-4, four and four, getting ready to play the Bucks tonight. A game you'll hear right here on The Zone. The game tips off at 6 o'clock. Pre-game show with Jake Scott, Tim Lacombe. Starts at 5 o'clock, and then uh, at 6 o'clock, David Locke will be along with the call with Ron Boone, and David's going to join us coming up at 9 o'clock. So we got a lot of answers here, PK, and a lot of them are along the lines of need bogey back from uh, Matt, just Matt. Uh, there are also uh, somebody in here who said that uh, bogey has always been a little bit of a liability defensively, and now he's not given the offense that makes him so, so valuable despite that. So that's where a lot of people are going. And certainly they're a much better team when Bogey gives them that 18 to 20 points. I can't argue on that. Yeah, I think that's obvious. He's got to find a a level of consistency. Uh, I would suspect that it's going to come because you're a proven product unless there's that injury situation that is really getting in the way. And if that's the case, I say sit him down uh, because – him having an open shot and not making it, well, that's probably, what, 65 75% of the reason why they signed you? Yeah. So if you can't do what you're supposed to and expected to do, and you're every, you know, teams have pieces of puzzles, and you do this, you do this, you do this, and you, know, and you combine it, and that's what you get. And if you have one of those pieces of that puzzle, a significant piece of that puzzle just doesn't fit with the others, well, then it's not going to work. And so then you need to go to a replacement. I don't know if that's the case. You know, he's probably not going to come out and say, yeah, man, this is just killing me over here, and that's the reason why. I mean, no, nobody worth anything is going to admit to that. You just keep playing through it. Uh, but that that's a decision that the medical people and Quinn Snyder and, and Bogdanovich themselves, they all have to figure out if that's an issue there. If it's not, well, and I hope it's not. I hope he's healthy to go. I hope that surgery uh, improved it or got it to where it should be, got it back to where it should be. Because if it's just a shooting slump, he's going to come out of it. He will come out of it at some point here, and he'll find a level of consistency. Now, he's had some ga- good games. See, that's where I'm a little hesitant to think that, this is really bothering him full time because he's had some real good games where he shot the ball and the ball went in the basket at a high level, right? So that means that particular game, maybe it was feeling good, whatever it might be. So I'm suspecting here very soon he's going to get back to what he's supposed to do as long as it's not a long-term health situation. Rex gave us a whole list of problems with the Jazz. Donovan Mitchell, uh, before we move on, though, I, I want to go back to that puzzle analogy. I think that's excellent. I think you got to hold on to that, and we're going to need to recall that at different times because if you don't have one of the top uh, two, three, four players in the league, the guy who, you know, LeBron does so many things for the Lakers. And, it, and there's obviously there aren't seven LeBrons running around, and you can't, get, you can't get him. If you don't have that, you have no choice but to ham and egg it. 
and to think we're going to get our shooting here, we're going to get a rim protector here, going to get a great ball handler here, we're going to get a defensive stopper over there. That's the way you've got to build it if you can't get one of that very small handful of players who does it all, who just does it all. So you better have that. And when you don't have it, when there's a hole, that's, that's where people are going to attack. That's where they're going to get you. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know that I would call it ham and egg it, though, because I just go back to say, like, like the Bulls, you know, we all remember them, right? You had the ultimate superstar, obviously, in Jordan. But then I think what they did really well was put in pieces that had specific skills individually maybe they didn't have great skill and we saw that right when those guys broke up individuals scattered Mm -hmm. who were still playing in the league and a lot of them didn't have near the impact like a luke longley for instance manages to play in the league for a good number of years he had a specific skill that the bulls were looking for obviously he had the height right Uh, But he could step out and make the shots. And then he goes, I think he went to Phoenix afterward, maybe some other teams. I'd have to double-check all that stuff. And they weren't nearly as effective. Well, everyone's going to say, well, of course, man. Jordan is the ultimate makeup. He's going to cover up every blemish that you have. I understand that. But those guys were still making plays when they needed to be made. And we all remember Kerr with his shot and all that stuff. So I think even if you have that superstar, you still need some other guys to fill in and around. Now, obviously, if you have that dude, he's going to make everybody look better. There's no question about that. And those guys clearly don't grow on trees. Whatever's the most... the least amount of grown plant when they say <laughs> that that's what that superstar is, you know, because he's he just doesn't come around that often. There's not that many of them. But I think you can I don't know that you can overcome it to win a title, but you can overcome it if you fit the right pieces together to have a really good team and have a really good postseason run. Well, I think just to stay with LeBron and Jordan, I think to your point about the the Bulls, and this is where as we relived it with the 10 part series and we got back into the whole organizations win championships things, you know, Jerry Krause wasn't likable. Jerry Krause wasn't popular. He wasn't the star player. He was always going to lose the popularity battle. But I think the point about organizations win championships is that he built a team around Jordan and yes, he inherited Jordan and yes, Jordan is awesome, but he built a team around Jordan that even when Jordan went to play baseball could win 50 games and go to the second round of the playoffs. Because, like you said, so many of those guys could do whatever it was. You know, whatever their role was, they could execute it. And so that's why when you took Jordan off the team, you still had 50-plus wins in the second round. Then you bring the GOAT in and you put him on the team. Well, that's why you win a three-peat. And you look at some of LeBron's teams, he hasn't had – he hasn't automatically had the organization around him. He didn't have all the pieces of the puzzle around him. The Cavs had to have LeBron, and the second they didn't, they were terrible. But when they had him, they could go to the finals and one time win the title. But he didn't have all those pieces you talk about. The the Bulls, and Kraus deserves credit for that, for putting those guys around him. And Phil deserves credit for coaching all those guys up. And then you add in Jordan, and you got six titles. Yeah, well, I think everybody deserves credit. And obviously Jordan gets the most credit because he deserves the most credit. And then you start from there and you go down. And that's the charge. So they have a significant piece in this Bogdanovich, and when he's not doing his thing, well, that, that's, a, that's a decent blow because you're counting on that young man to, to get out there, and I guess he's not that young in, 
in basketball sense. Uh, so if a listener points to his inconsistency right now as one of the reasons or the primary reason, okay, I don't necessarily argue that. They just have to find ways to overcome that. And I, I think they're cap- – because they have found ways to overcome that. I mean, Joe Ingles, and I don't know that he's going to play tonight. They said he was questionable. My guess, and this is completely and totally a guess, is that he does get out there because he always seems to find a way to get out there. But we've seen him elevate his play a little bit more. And that, that's sort of been uh, – we've overlooked that to an extent because winning is what matters the most. But I think in the last couple of games here, we've seen Joe be far more effective and really, really give the team a huge boost, and, and we need to continue to see that. And pretty much everybody has to do that because as bad as uh, Bogdanovich shot the ball or uh, whatnot, you know, if they don't have as many careless, loose turnovers that lead the buckets on the other end and Conley shoots the ball a little bit better, they still, can, still could have won that game against the Knicks, and that's what it is. If you don't have the ultimate superstar, you're going to have to rely on your team to do and I still think they have that capability I'm not ready to just panic by any stretch at this point Rex gives us a whole list of problems and there's literally Rex I don't want to break it to you there's literally no chance that everybody's going to agree with your list however everybody probably will pick one thing off his list and shake their head yep Rex is on it here we go Rex says Donovan's more concerned with social injustices. Rudy hasn't recovered from being unjustly ridiculed in March. Bogey's wrist hurts, as does his defense. Conley has lost his passion. Ingles is engulfed in parenthood and is a full step slower. Brilliant coaching. Poor execution. (laughs) There's a list. Where do you want to jump in on that one? See, that's an interesting situation on that list because I think that that's what we have. There's a lot of things that go into that. Some psychologists could have a fascinating study on that because that these guys that we know so much about them and we follow them, that's indicative of my mind of intense fanhood in that we know to an extent, not completely by any stretch, but we know a lot about these guys. And so we can easily point to stuff. Now, I don't know that any of that stuff uh, is viewed as, uh, particularly in the case of uh, what I was going to say with Gobert, I don't know that any of that stuff that we know uh, has gotten under his skin is a negative, though. To me, I can argue that stuff is a positive because it does seem like there's a chip on his shoulder, and it does seem like people take shots at him, and Shaq is the latest and all that. But I don't think that that's a, that's a negative there. Uh, and Mitchell, you know, he's put himself out there, and I've said it. He's a guy who grew up in affluence. There's just no doubt about it. When you're going to multiple private schools, you grew up in affluence. And then uh, you know, and we see that. I think we, uh, we see that with a lot of folks out there who grew up in affluence, and it's almost like they're trying to make good on on this. I'm down with the cause, and particularly if you throw in the fact that he's a young African-American, he wants to be a spokesman, all right? So he's put himself out there. There's no doubt about that. Now, how does that relate to basketball? You know, I think that that was a big issue in Orlando, and it's still an issue now, but it seemed like that was at the forefront in Orlando, Whereas, is it in the forefront now when he's in the moment of playing the games? Is he thinking about that other stuff? 
that's hard for me to say that he is, that he's not thinking about trying to win basketball games because when you see his body language and all that stuff in those Zoom meetings and the frustration, the frustration in the moment, at least for me, and I could be wrong, and I'm sure the one dude who anytime I try to veer off a little bit, he always tweets and tells me I'm wrong. And I'm going to continue my streak in, the, in that, that man's <laughs> eyes that I'm always wrong and whatever my political opinions are. So I've pretty much given up trying to please him. But I don't see it as much as I did see it back then. Could be wrong. I think that uh, the thing every player realizes is that you can do whatever you want off the court, uh, whatever social justice issue, health yeah, cause, you know, wh- whatever it is. But if you're going to maximize your impact in that area, you got to be good at what put the spotlight on you in the first place. You know, and if you're an athlete, you got to win. And if you're a movie star, well, you, you need to make a hit movie because that's why they keep having you on the late night talk shows so you can talk about whatever. And, you or know, if you're case, a musician. Song. Yeah, there you go. Thank yeah, you. Exactly. And uh, if you're going to be a musician, so you still got a tour, you still got to crank out the hits. You know, Len- your guy, John Lennon, started getting uh, more political as the Beatles got bigger, but the Beatles kept cranking out hits. And when they broke up, he was, when did he put out Double Fantasy? How long was that before? I mean, it was still a hit when he was shot, so it had to be within like the last 12 months, right? 18 tops. He yeah, went out on top. Yeah, you got to keep cranking out the hits. Because that's what puts the spotlight on you. So, and, and I think that athletes and musicians and movie stars all get that. <laughs> they, they know, hey, why am I a celebrity? And if I don't keep doing what I'm doing, and, and at some point they all retire and they do step away from the spotlight, and that is going to change how much of the spotlight you get. Rudy hasn't recovered from being unjustly ridiculed in March. I think he has. I think from time to time it, uh, it bothers him, but I think there's new things now. You know, the, the Shaq thing is a new thing. It doesn't have anything to do with last March. Uh, so many things have happened. So many teams, have, yeah. there's so many people have said and done things, and there have been so many outrages, and we probably wouldn't all agree on what the outrages are, but we've all been outraged about something. Uh, it's kind of a footnote at this point. Rudy Gobert, a footnote is the exact word. Yeah, that's all that was. Yeah, in in the grand scope of things, uh, it was just a footnote. And there's the whole issue. It, 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 I don't think anybody's calling it the Rudy Gobert virus. <laughs> so <laughs> I haven't heard that. <laughs> You'd be the first. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. starting that, big guy. Uh, I, I don't. I don't see that whatsoever here. And I, I think all that stuff is just a motivational factor. The guy plays with the chip. The guy's got a burning desire. It was something that I noticed when literally he was a, a D-League player. I don't think they had called it the G-League player. And I came back from that interview, and he was he was nobody at that point. Now, yes, he was in the, in the NBA, but nobody really knew him. He, he was playing behind Cantor, of all people. <laughs> You know what I mean? I, no, so, I, I absolutely remember that. And I can remember uh, watching him play and watching rotation change and, and think, wow. They must, I, I mean, I know they don't like Cantor's defense, but they have to really be livid because they're taking his minutes away and giving him to this new guy who's, you know, kind of been in baby giraffe territory here. And then Rudy's blocking a shot. And he's blocking another one. And the team's getting fired up. And pretty soon you're like, wow, Rudy's taking his minutes away. It was. It was absolutely. He was behind Ennis. And it was a process that went pretty quickly where he took those minutes away. Yeah, 
I appreciate the simplification on that particular thing, but I don't see it. And I and I think Mitchell he wants to be politically active. His still is uh, what his social media has the picture of the young lady in Kentucky who was killed and all that stuff. Uh, and he certainly has every right to do that. I mean, come on, we've, we've got to acknowledge the, the the right. Even if you disagree, I think you've got to acknowledge the right to be able to do that. Uh, certainly in in the land in which we live, but in, in the moment, I I just don't see it. And Conley losing his passion. Uh, not not what, buying that. What, of of all when, the things. When did he lose it? Of all the things to worry about right now, Conley is not on my. I mean. There's so many more things to worry about this team than Conley. That just seems like it's people left over holding on to something that was true a year ago. A year ago, absolutely something. But literally, a year ago he was hurt after a slow start. I mean, we're at the point where in the year where he was hurt. But 11 months ago, he started playing fine. He's nowhere near this list for me. His, he's lost his passion. I just don't see it. At some point, he's going to lose a step because that's what happens. When you're his size, it's magnified. But – he played well at the end of whatever the normal regular season was last year. He played well in the bubble. I think he's given him several good games here early on. Uh, I think the bogey's wrist hurts, as does his defense. I think that's probably the best point on the list. You didn't bring him in for his defense. You brought him in because he can shoot the lights out. And when he's putting up two for ten, that's no good. That That's the strongest point on the list. I think Conley's probably the weakest point on the list with with Rudy a close, closely. Uh Ingles is engulfed in parenthood and a full step slower. <laughs> See, now Joe's put himself out there with the parenthood he stuff. He has, he And so that's why we know of that, with his son having the autism, and that became a crusade for him. And I don't mean it in a negative. Obviously, that is extremely close to his heart. And I'd yeah. imagine if I were in that situation, uh, I would, I'd feel the same way. You know, as I see all these things that are being out there in the world today, um, for me, my sensitivity is, oh, wait a second here, what about this other group? We don't hear a whole lot of Occasionally we hear about the Brown, but we don't really hear a lot about them. That's where my sensitivity is because I'm raising a Brown person. And so I have a sensitivity of that. When she goes to a water park and somebody says, go back to Mexico, and she was born in the U.S., that gets under my skin when she was 10 years old. So that's my sensitivity. But does that mean that that's gotten in the way of my job? Eh, I would take offense to that. Oh, you had a legendary thing, actually, that launched your radio career with the Parenthood. You want to recount that? That was awesome. No, what? Uh, you were doing. You were still doing the newspaper. The first five years we did the show together, you had you were a beat reporter at the Trib, and you did the radio. And then when we left Simmons and and came to the uh, to the Millers here. Then you uh, stopped doing the newspaper and you were uh, radio full time, one hundred percent. So while you were doing the newspaper, there were people at the paper who thought you shouldn't have a second job doing opinion, and you actually had to meet with some of your bosses. And you told one of your bosses, uh, was her name Nancy, and was she the publisher or the editor? Well, I don't remember her title. I don't either. Okay, uh, but you remember the woman I'm talking about. Oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. And, editor, editor. And there were two things. She's the editor, right? And, and so there were, there were two sticking points on all this because there were literally coworkers of you who wanted you off the air. They, they would jealous. have been happier if, like, they were told, yep, on the first of the month he's done. 
that that would have made multiple employees at the Trib happy. More uh, newsroom people than sports people, I think. Maybe some sports people, too. But certainly some people in the newsroom. And the two things were, oh, he has opinions. And you're in the media, and they're going to say, you realize you have me writing a column in our paper that's full of opinions every week, right? <laughs> We've already crossed that line. Maybe that's a line that shouldn't be crossed, but that line was crossed a long time ago. I'm a beat writer, and I'm responsible for this column. And then the other thing was, well, he's spending all this time. And you're like, well, you better make me give up my kids then because I spend more time and energy on my kids than I spend on either one of my jobs. I am at work, and if something's gone wrong with the kids, it's still on my mind and it's distracting me. But you're going to have to make a bunch of people in the newsroom give up their kids because the same thing happens to everybody. We think about our kids all the time. And, yeah, it does distract us sometimes at work. But, well, you know, welcome to planet Earth. Okay, I didn't know where you were going, but now that you recall that, you recalled that more than I did. Oh. I don't, re- I don't oh. recall, I didn't recall that, but when you said that, I recalled it. Oh, yeah. You were telling me this. I can still yeah. remember you telling me this, and I'm laughing, thinking. And I knew you before we started doing this, but I know you on multiple levels better now that we're doing this. You know, we just had a call in the last week for half an hour one oh, night. I'd say a million times better. Yeah, yeah right. Or but deeper. None of it, and, and all of it is still, you're still true to who you were when I was just, you know, blathering with you. Because we used to go to Utah basketball games early when they were drawing 15,000 and they hadn't built parking garages. I don't have words for what a headache parking was and where we had to park and the traffic we had to walk through. I was always worried I was going to get hit by a car at night. You know, people oh, are, dark, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, dark, yeah. and people are yeah. zooming around trying to find a spot. And, like, listen, I'm just trying to walk through this. and just, I just want to get to the game. And so you learn really quickly as a media member, just get there 90 minutes early. It's just way easier to be there two hours for a game. Now you're just killing time. And I remember talking to you multiple times and just about whatever game we'd watch, whatever. We were just killing time. And, and so you're still that guy, but there's lots of stuff we never went into because we didn't know each other that well. Plus, life changed. And life changed, too, <laughs> right. But when you were telling me that, because I was aware of some of the— I had actually met some of the people at the Trib and was kind of like, wow. I didn't face—I mean, I, I remember thinking, I'm lucky. I didn't face this at Channel 2 on anything close to this level. And there were a couple things at Channel 2. and But it was mostly—it was, it was a boss whose role it was to think about that. You know, it wasn't—you know, the other— Coworkers just they just they just don't think about me and they don't care. It doesn't matter to them, <laughs> whatever. Um, and, but there were a couple conversations with bosses. But you were telling me about all this, and then you told me about it. I remember thinking, man, I kind of knew this about this guy, but holy cow, you got to make everybody give up their kids. <laughs> <laughs> that entertains me even now. Yeah, I got news for you. It. I'm distracted at work because I'm thinking about my kids. I'm thinking, oh, I was distracted at work thinking about my kids. I was distracted at work thinking about my pregnant wife. I mean, who is that it? That goes on and on. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so, so I think I think Joe would take uh, offense to that. Yeah, I'm sure he would. And I'm sure Mike Conley would be like, hmm, yeah, I was in the bubble thinking about my kids too. He was also playing lights out. But and then something happened. He took some phone call. He was stressed about sure. oh, something. Yeah, who sure. knows what? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Who knows what? I mean, we all got them, whatever they might be. You can make that argument then, well, LeBron went to the Lakers just to be a so, more of a social activist and a uh, movie mongol and all that stuff. And yet there he is at 35 years of age winning a title. And here he is now at 36. At 36, in my mind, he's still the unquestioned best player in the game. He might, when he said, whenever it's said and done, I don't know when that's going to be, he might go down as the best 
player for the longest period of time in NBA history. And so if you were to say to LeBron, well, Tisha, you know, you're 36. Come on. You've won your titles. You're Hall of Fame. You're yeah. top five. You're top you're two. You're top one. Yep. You're a one. What more name. do you need to accomplish? Yeah. You're a one-name dude, yep. man. You don't even need to say – in fact, when I hear James, I'm thinking, who's that? Just say LeBron. <laughs> when, they just, when they just call him James. Now, when they say LeBron James, obviously. But when I hear James on the broadcast, it still sounds – Awkward and yeah. odd to me because I just think of LeBron. And can you imagine what would be his response? LeBron, it seems to me that, you know, you're 36 now and you've lost your passion because you want to do this, this, and this. Yeah. He'd probably come across that uh, a table. It's a good thing I, I would have to say it on Zoom because I'd fear for my safety. <laughs> uh, right? Well, there's gifts of the luck he would give you. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, and then there's one more he put on here. Brilliant coaching, poor execution. Uh, you know, I, I would love to run that by Quint, not on camera, because on camera you have to always defer and it's the players. But, you know, if, if it were private and you could give Quinn the truth serum. But I think most, most coaches, and we can ask Steve Cleveland this because he's retired now, but I think most coaches, they make a lot of decisions and there's like bedrock philosophies that they are 100% on board with. Like they are going to say this and make this decision every time because it's who they are and it's how they coach. It's what got them where they are. But I think there's a bunch of decisions inside a game that are 80, 20, 70, 30 calls. And they know which way they want to go, and they know it'll probably work, but they also know that at times they need to gamble and give a player a little more freedom and go with a gut instinct. And that's, those are the things that they stress over. Those are the things that, you know, going, hey, how should we approach this? How should we match up here? And I – I'm sure every coach walks off the floor second-guessing a bunch of the decisions they just made. Only when you lose. You what? Only when you lose. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> when you win, whew, I got that one right. You <laughs> got enough of them right. <laughs> yeah, I, I view the coaching as did you do all that you could do to put yourself, your team in the position to win? You know, and that's why Jerry Sloan, yes, just on a based on a career of 22 years with the Jazz. Then that this is, does he mean that was a, he made the best decision, the most perfect decision every single time? Probably not. You know, it's impossible. No one's going to get that. But did you do all that you could do to put yourself, your team, when I say yourself, in the position of winning? And as long as you can answer yes to that which I think Quinn Snyder can do. You know, you can nitpick this decision or that decision. I understand that. But I'm talking about overall. Then it's up to the guys to go get that done. They're the ones who've got to go do it out on the floor. You can only do so much. And is he doing enough to put the team in the position to do that? I think the answer overall is yes. And then it's up to the guys to go ahead and do it. And even if you make these great plays and you design them and everything, then you get out there and four or five things happen in the moment, the actual spur of the moment thing, and it's up to the guys to read it, use their instincts, and do whatever they need to do to make sure that they adjust. You know, that's the same thing as we talk with a quarterback. He goes, you draw up a play, and if the play works, that's why we've seen a number of high school kids look so awesome, and then they get to the college, and, well, you got to improvise, you got to make a play, you got to do this, you got to do that, and you really don't know how that's going to work. And that's why Russell Wilson is drafted in the third round, right? Plus, he's a little shorter. But you don't know how, how is he going to do 
when things break down. Well, it turns out Russell Wilson does it awfully well. And now, is that Pete Carroll? Is that their offensive coordinator? Eh, to an extent, but is it Russ, Russell Wilson? Yes, absolutely. He's making plays because he has that ability to make plays and think for himself on his feet and has the athletic ability to do all the wondrous things that we've seen him doing. So that's that's the way I view coaching. I don't think whatever's ailing them now is a big, significant coaching issue. All right, two last comments, and we got to hit the break here. Uh, one Long 2 says, uh, there's nothing wrong. They're just saving Ryan, Ryan money on, on scholarships. Nice. Thanks for the comedy there, one long too. And What's then you, that about? Uh, because he said that for every win, they're going to donate a scholarship. So by losing games, they're saving money on scholarships. Oh, okay, got it. Got it. And then you chest a trailer. Uh, <laughs> ball didn't go in the hoop. Don't come here once every two years and ask those questions. I don't want to hear that from you. <laughs> That's a decent thing. I here. thought yeah. so, too. I thought that was strong. Yeah. Way to go, you Chasta trailer. Way to, way to hit us with a uh, decade-old Jim Boylan quote right there. That was good. All right, we're going to take a break. Jim Ozarski, Milwaukee Bucks writer for the Milwaukee Sentinel Journal, joins us next to look ahead to tonight's game with the Jazz and the Bucks. We're home for the best coverage of the Jazz, Utes, and Cougars. This is DJ and PK. Presented by Mark Miller Subaru on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to talk Milwaukee Bucks basketball with Jim Ozarski. He covers the Bucks for the Milwaukee Sentinel Journal. It's the Jazz and the Bucks tonight. Jim, thanks for taking a few minutes for us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So the Bucks are off to a 5-3 and three start. They've won uh, three in a row here, and we are seeing crazy uh, starts around the league. Uh, teams that we didn't think were very good, looking at you, Orlando, uh, off to a 6-2 and two start. The Suns are 6-2, and two, although people thought they'd be trending up, maybe just not that far. And then the teams we thought would be really good that have been bad. The Bucks seem to have done a little bit of both of this. How would you, how would you characterize them so far? Yeah, they're, I mean, they're definitely still in the group of, of finding themselves. I mean, I think you know, we probably saw their outlier game you know, in New York, they lost by 20, shot, I think, 18% from the three-point line. I mean, that may go down as probably their worst game of the season, and that happened in, in game three. Um, and then kind of on the other end, I mean, it, they set the NBA record for three-pointers made by a team in Miami, you know, the, the next time out. Um, I, I don't expect they'll do that again either, uh, shoot 65% or whatever it was from three. So I think they've kind of had their swings, and now they're trying to, to – to settle in now look they're a good team you know and and that's they're going to be an eastern conference contender so really i think their level is is going to be higher than most teams in the east and especially right now i think what they're trying to figure out isn't so much offense um it's it's their historic level rim protection is, is to me not going to be the same they don't have the same kind of guys they don't have the same kind of defenders so i think they're trying to to find out, okay, what, how can these new players fit the system they do? How can they adjust it? <laughs> because some of them aren't as good at it, quite frankly. Um, and then where does that fit into, you know, the, the broader scheme of winning in the playoffs? Because really, that's where this team is at, looking ahead. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
And, and that, I anticipated from a distance anyway. I'm not following the way you are day to day. Obviously, we're all over the jazz. But I anticipated somewhat of an acclimation period because I've wanted to believe that you just don't throw guys together, roll out the ball, and away they go. You bring in a player like Drew Holiday uh, who's going to have a significant addition to your team. I think that over the long term, in terms of getting when you get to the postseason, he'll definitely be an upgrade over what the Bucks have had but it's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, and that's, you know, I tend to lean on players, you know, when, when they talk about their timelines for things. And bef- what, what, they have five practices, three preseason games before it started for real. And almost to a man on the Bucks, they said defensively, maybe February, they'll have it, they'll have an idea of who they are. Um, I think offensively, it's starting to click a little sooner. Um, and that may be, A, the nature of the game right now with so many blowouts around the league. Or uh, you mentioned Drew Holiday. His ability to run the transition game is just, I mean, it's smoother than Eric Bledsoe to a degree. And, quite frankly, Giannis um, has been facilitating, you know, when he's come in with the second string guys. And, and, and as you guys know, and we might see with the Jazz tonight, I mean, teams, you know, they're not going to give them free run at the rim. And so when that wall goes up, he's, he even said, I, I'm learning I can't just go through that all the time. I need to kick it out. And, and again, that took three, four games, which plus preseason is seven. That's like 15, 20 practices. So you're right. I mean, it's, it, it has taken a little bit of time offensively, and they think it'll take a little more time defensively. Jim Ozarski joining us, Milwaukee Bucks writer, covers the Bucks for the Sentinel Journal, Jazz and Bucks tonight. And the Bucks are going to play some of the other better teams in the West. I know they got the Mavs next week and the Lakers in a couple weeks. Whether it's the Jazz tonight or any of these other teams, where is the weak spot on the Bucks? How are these teams going to – we know Antetokounmpo is the star and we know some of the other you know big-name players, but where's the weak spot as a group that teams are going to consistently attack? You know – this is going to sound strange because of how good they've been the last two years at this. Um, I, I do think there, there are more breakdowns around the basket right now. Um, you know, Brooke Lopez is, is a year older. Um, you know, he's, I, I, to me, looks like there's maybe a half-step, quarter-step, which in this league can lead to layups, um, that, that maybe he's not – either he's lost or still trying to find, right, after – a very short off season. And then their backup bigs, Bobby Portis, look, he, he's scoring the ball, but there are times where he's still kind of getting lost in space. So I think there's some areas of, of the paint that are, you know, a team can get to. It's still, it's still the three ball though. I think if, if teams still rotate and, and are willing to make that pass and, and be quick about it, they're going to get open threes on this team, you know? And, and I know it's, it's, to some degree, that can be frustrating for fans because if, if you have a night where it's just not going in, <laughs> right, and that's most of the league at this point, you know, you're probably not going to win. But I would say it's still it's still the three ball that that's been the Bucks' Achilles heel uh, defensively over the years because they're kind of okay with that. But I will say again, I think there are some opportunities at the rim. Um, you know, depending if you can catch either the the, the second unit guys uh, kind of stuck or even Brooke Lopez, again, move the ball and make him move 
um, it, sometimes you can see some creases there. How's the depth on this team? You know, it, it's uh, the, John Horst, their general manager, wanted to address that, and it's they're they're better offensively. They can go a little deeper um, when they're healthy. Right now, they're missing Tory Craig, who I'm sure you guys are very familiar with. The, the, the kind of the wing defender from Denver. Yeah. He broke his nose in New York. He's been out, will still be out. Pat Connaughton, one of their sixth, seventh, eighth men, he's out with a groin injury. Sam Merrill, their second-round rookie, again, another guy you guys would be familiar with. He's out with an ankle, although he may finally be able to play tonight. Um, so they're – and those are, you know, Merrill's a shooter. Connaughton's a shooter, kind of an explosive guy. Craig, as you know, is a defender. I think when they're all healthy, they feel better about it. To, to kind of stretch it out a little bit, let those guys, you know, kind of do what they do. Right now, they are playing 10, um, but there's some limitations there. Thanasis Adendakumbo, um, energy guy. <laughs> I mean, he's out there to try to really create some defensive havoc, get in the way, you know, maybe get a little feisty and chippy, but he's not really a scorer or anything like that. So I think when they're healthy, the depth is a little better than a year ago, largely because they can score more than they did a year ago. When you look around the East Eastern Conference now, it seems like there's a little more depth. You know, Brooklyn's got their star players. Well, not right now, but over the course of the season they will. Uh, the, the goal for the Bucks has to be to get to the NBA Finals. Who are the major obstacles in the mind of the Bucks? Yeah, I mean, Brooklyn for sure. You know, if, if they're, you would think, if they're healthy and, and ready to play, that that's going to be, the, the the chief kind of competition, I, I would think. I mean, Miami, look, I, I think Miami got hot in the bubble, um, much like L.A. did to a degree, um, and, and they were the wrong team at the wrong time for Milwaukee. They're good. Jimmy Butler's healthy. That's going to create a, a competitive <laughs> swirl there, I guess. I, I, there's, I don't know how to describe Jimmy Butler's competitiveness, but that edge that he brings. I mean, he didn't play the two games in Miami. The Heat did win one of those. Um, I, I think Miami is definitely, you know, a match can be a matchup issue. So they're have to put them in the mix. And then Boston, um, their wings can shoot, um, you know, and, and I think that type, again, that ball movement on the outside and then that ability to attack the basket quickly um, could be an issue. I'm going to go with those three teams. You had the Bucks. that's four. Um, I, I know there's a couple others that maybe, you know, give some of those teams a run in the earlier rounds. But I, I think uh, those four would be the top, you know, part of that conference. I think that really have at least finals, you know, uh, expectations or hopes. So Giannis right now, still only a few games, you know, not even to 10, but nevertheless, 25% from three, only 61% from the free throw line. Are those two areas that are of major concern? You know, I think the free throws, um, and it's interesting because, I mean, just three years ago, four, so it's not that long ago, I mean, he shot 77% from the line. Um, so I, I don't know if, if because his body changed, his, his mechanics changed, if it's a confidence thing. I think if the Bucks would be thrilled, if he can get back to just what he's already done, right, they'd, they'd be thrilled. That's another five, six points maybe in a game um, with how much he gets to the line now. Uh, the three-point shooting, you know, if, if he can get – honestly, guys, I, I think they'd like him to be able to hit one or two a game. 
And it, that is what it is. Steve Kerr told me when Golden State came in that teams will always give him the three. You know, they're not going to give up a free run at the rim to him. However, at times, look, he got Bam Adebayo from Miami to close out on him. He got Tatum last year, I think, to close out on him. These are just kind of one-offs. And what does that do? That opens up the entire court, either for him to drive or a teammate. So he's still going to shoot threes um, to try to make a couple and, and, and create that little bit of, uh, I don't want to call it mystery, but like make, make that defender make a choice, I guess. And, and sometimes it's going to happen, right? You know, in Boston, he made a couple pull-up threes you know, to help get them back in that game. I mean, that's a big deal if you're a 26-year-old looking to improve your game. So I think the free throws are more of a concern. Um, they hope he can get back to where he was at the start of his career. And, and the threes, I think they're just hoping he can hit one or two as just uh, in addition to his game. Can you describe the relief Milwaukee felt when Kempo uh, <laughs> agreed to the deal? Yeah, I, I, I wrote this over at, at jsonline.com that night at, where it was, you know, the city and the state just, just breathed a sigh of relief. Um, I, I think, you know, Giannis being in this city for eight years, it was not a surprise. But I think just the way the NBA is covered, the way star players are projected to leave within a year, two years, I mean, some guys even three years, <laughs> out of their deal, who they're going to play with, where they're going to go. I mean, you can't escape it. So I, I, I think um, he has always said he was staying in Milwaukee. He's always said he, he wanted to play here for many, many years. And that, I mean, he followed through on that. I mean, this is the second extension he has signed. Um, so I think it's just, uh, it was just relief that finally, you know, um, all of that could go to bed because there is that at the end of the day, Milwaukee has been burned. We could talk about this for hours, whether it be Abdul Jabbar wanting to be traded out or CC Sabathia not staying or Prince Fielder leaving. I mean, there there are plenty of players in the the city of Milwaukee's history who have left (laughs) Paul Molitor, you know, in baseball hall of famers that just leave. Um, He has stayed. And I think, yeah, I, I can't really explain what that meant. Um, other than it was, yeah, a, a form of relief that uh, they honestly they they've never experienced in the city of Milwaukee because honestly every other star, other than Robin Yount, who played here for 20 years as a shortstop for the Brewers, had left uh, when they got a chance to. Don't forget the time that they moved him to center field, though. That, that, you know, sometimes there's always a weird – I grew up in Chicago, and I remember when Carlton Fisk, the Hall of Fame catcher, was moved out to left field. There's always some Ooh. There's always some weird element of <laughs> sports that way, right? Those one-offs. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's particularly at the end. You know, onto Tacumbo, you can pretty much pencil him in, put him in pen for what he's going to give you. I think that you have a lot of consistency. I think Drew Holiday will be fine. Uh, Lopez does what he does. Uh, DiVincenzo's come on. So the point I'm making, could I make a point that the wild card in all this for the Bucks is Middleton? Um, you know, I, I, I think it's the other way around. I think Middleton, meaning Middleton, I think you can pencil him in more consistently than DiVincenzo. Okay. I think I, – Look, he's a two-time All-Star, and I know people um, can quibble with that, right, with with 
Boonholzer being the coach and whatever. But he's look, he's, he can score 25 a game on 10 shots. I mean, he's he's an efficient player um, who who can go off if Giannis is having an off night or Drew Holiday's having off. Divincenzo, look, he shot 29, 27% from three his rookie year, got up to around 30 last year. Look, 60-something percent is not sustainable right now. But if you're going to talk about a fifth starter who is supposed to be traded, by the way, um, now adding the two steals a game, he, he's proven he can defend in the league, to a guy who can actually knock down open threes, and and create some offense that to me that's the wild card because I don't I don't they may say they expected it but I mean they were willing to deal him for Bogdan Bogdanovich if they, if they could have got him so you know maybe Sacramento maybe that means Sacramento thought this was coming too but I think he's the wild card he's had days where he scored 18 points hit five threes um, he's had a night like the other night where he scored four points kind of struggled a little bit when he gets going in these early games guys that, that first early in the first quarter early in the third quarter some this offense just seems to really roll with him because he's sort of this extra piece I don't think the other team is really focused on and all all of a sudden he's got nine points in the first minute and a half three minutes it's like wait a minute and now all of a sudden kind of things change so I I would say DiVincenzo's the the real wild card Uh, Bobby Portis to a lesser degree off the bench and Middleton's kind of the guy I think they they, they, they want to keep an eye on. Because he'll only take 10 shots. <laughs> it's just a matter of does he make eight that night as opposed to five. Jim Ozarski, Milwaukee Bucks writer for the Milwaukee Sentinel Journal, uh, join us. Uh, just just remind the fans in Milwaukee that they had Favre and Rodgers back-to-back. <laughs> so for whatever else has gone wrong, that's a really good thing to have go right. Oh yeah, for sure. We we tend to exclude Green Bay in that one to a degree because it's uh, it is it is an hour forty five minutes north. But you're right. Um, in terms of football, that that's uh, that is impossible to beat at, <laughs> in terms of the back to back. And so no, there's an appreciation there for sure. Jim, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. All right, thanks for having me. Jim Ozarski, Milwaukee Bucks beat writer for the Sentinel Journal. We're going to take a break. David Locke, radio voice of the Jazz, is going to join us in about 10 minutes right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Catch DJ and PK 24-7 on Twitter. Now listen up. At David DJ James and at PK Kinahan. That's just how we roll. You're locked on to DJ and PK on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Thanks for nothing, PK. What? So last night I'm doing some stuff around the house, and I cannot get out of my mind. And I won't back down. That's your fault. It's my theme song. And Kyle. And Kyle. For the hair. <laughs> I, could, I can't even tell you. I, 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 my wife is having uh, knee issues right now, and going up and down stairs is a problem. And uh, I, I'll go down. i got to fold some laundry. And seriously, I could not get it out of my uh, – nonstop. Just, just there, over and over. I guess I should be grateful. At least it was Tom Petty. At least it was somebody I like. I mean, somebody everybody likes, not like – He's cutting edge or anything. Uh, but holy cow, you ever have that? Just that we've all been there. Over and over and over. Oh, yeah. When I look at you, 
You light up nope. my night. Nope. I'm <laughs> I'm going to be mentally tough enough to reject that. I think I only let the the Tom Petty thing linger because I like him. Not doing that. Because you told me that time you saw Debbie Boone, you went nuts. You were like Monson when we took him down to see Olivia Newton-John when BYU and Utah were playing in the Vegas Bowl. Uh, that's a hilarious story that we don't have time for. <laughs> that is an underrated top ten Your story. Your fixation with B- Debbie Boone? No. The uh, Olivia Newton-John concert. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of guys biting their lip. A white man's overbite bouncing up and down. Oh, and she's saying, let's get physical. Two guys in the front row started to stand up, and they're dancing, and their shirts rose above their guts, and their pants almost fell down to their knees. It was hysterical. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, David Locke, radio voice of the Jazz. What's wrong with the Jazz? What will it take to fix it? Is it just one of those things in two random games we won't remember later in the year? Or something else. David Locke, next. Stay with us.